Welcome everyone to the Mindfulness uh, uh, at IBM podcast and now as well at Kindred. Um, and I'm here with Pat and with our guest, right? That, but our guest is, uh, is, is there on hold because before we just uh, want to show something, actually to, to talk about, describe something that is uh, beautiful, that is actually the last uh, podcast of the year. Right. Uh, next, we will meet again and hear again from each other in January. Right. So what do you have to say as the last one of the year, Pat? What a year. What a year. Uh, I think the last thing that I'll say is just wishing everyone mindful moments this winter holiday season, whatever it is you're celebrating. See if you can just be more present, be more kind and, and be more compassionate with everyone and, and everything that comes your way. Lately, messages from you. Message from me is a bit nostalgic. It's uh, you know even if uh, uh, you know we 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 enjoy every moment, right? When is the present? Because the present. But let's bring to the present a bit of information about the past. This year was the year when this podcast was born. So I remember the first recording we did it on the nineteenth of January, twenty twenty one, right? So it's gonna be the first year of the podcast with many guests, right? And forty one episodes. So. Um, it's cool, right? And I enjoy it. Uh, you know, for, from my side, you know, when I started the podcast, I knew much less about mindfulness than what I know now. I knew many less people. And also the people I already knew, I learned something about them uh, that I didn't know during the podcast. So, uh, and particularly many practices that actually then, you know, when leading practices and organizing and, you know, practice group and so on, I, I took a lot of inspiration from that, right? So that actually was for me, the podcast, a transformative experience. And I love that part, right? Yeah, good, good time of the year to reflect on, on the past year, uh, you know, to, to notice and to be grateful for what's here, but also do some goal setting, some intention setting for the year to come. But I think enough from, from you and I, unless there's any burning news. Uh, no burning news. I want, uh, you know, everyone has to take good time to, um, to refresh, right? And get ready for many new episodes, right? And, uh, uh, and I wonder, I'm very curious to know who is our guest today, Pat. So can you bring him uh, to our audience? Yes. So Steve Hickman is our guest for today, and he'll introduce himself in, in just a moment. But I've had the privilege and the honor of meeting him several weeks back through, through some people collaborating with him within the company. And I think we've met, this is our, our second time meeting uh, in sort of virtual person, but we've connected often through, um, through email. And I think there's a lot of nice things unfolding from our relationship already and i'm already becoming more aware of you know what it means to be compassionate and what it means to be self-compassionate and we thought no better person than to invite than the director for the center of mindful self-compassion so steve welcome welcome let me know if i missed something with your introduction and oh i think that's good enough i can i can fill in a few gaps about uh, who I am and how I've come to be here. So thank you for having me. Welcome. Thank you. So tell me something more about it because, you know, Pat is new, but I, I met you actually here recording the podcast. So I, yeah. I wonder, tell me more about uh, 
um, you know, what, what is uh, uh, the you know, self center of self compassion doing? Yeah. And what, what are you actually um, thinking about the importance of self compassion in itself? Uh, you just laid out about six hours worth of material there, but I'll see That's what right. I can do. <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit of background on me might be a good sort of setup for that. Is that <laughs> I'm a I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and um, <clears throat> I um, in my early experience as a psychologist, I worked at UC University of California at San Diego in the medical system there as a psychologist, working with people with chronic pain, and it was in that context that I discovered mindfulness. Uh, and mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR, um, which inspired me ultimately to create the Center for Mindfulness at UC San Diego, uh, which became, has become a, a global center for training of teachers of mindfulness-based programs, as well as a program of clinical care and, mm -hmm. uh, and offering mindfulness programs to the public. Um, so that's a whole story in and of itself. But in my journey of establishing that center, uh, and teaching MBSR um, numerous times, probably 50 times or more. Uh, it's an eight-week-long program. Um, I became aware of a program developed by uh, Dr. Kristen Neff and Dr. Chris Germer mm -hmm. called Mindful Self-Compassion. So Kristen is the world's leading researcher on the topic of self-compassion, which I'll say more about, obviously, in a moment. And Chris Germer is a clinical psychologist who has written and taught, and taught about uh, sort of contemplative practice in psychotherapy. And the two of them got together in a, a rather uh, sort of fortuitous way. And together, they created a, an eight-week-long training program called Mindful Self-Compassion, intended to help people to cultivate this practice of self-compassion. And uh, again, there's a whole story behind it, but in their early days of developing this program, we met, and because I was so interested in um, training teachers of mindfulness programs, I was a natural fit for them to help them develop a teacher training program to teach this program. So, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of boring details in there, but uh, essentially what I was discovering as I was teaching mindfulness was how transformative and powerful that practice was, uh, especially for these folks with chronic pain and other kinds of stress, pain, and illness. Um, and um, there was, there always felt to me to be a little something missing and, and not to, to say anything bad about mindfulness training at all, but just to say that, Mindfulness without compassion, without warmth and kindness is really not mindfulness, to be honest. Um, quite often, mindfulness is taught as kind of a, a, a bare attention sort of thing, where you're just aware of everything, just be with everything in a sort of cold sort of way. Um, and if it's, not, if it's lacking a kind of warmth and kindness, it really isn't uh, truly mindfulness. And that, that warm side of things is also something that really facilitates many people getting involved in being more present and aware. Um, and I guess to say that what I discovered when I, uh, <laughs> I took, I ended up teaching the Mindful Self-Compassion course before ever being trained, before ever taking it for one thing, uh, which is 
something I don't recommend. Um, but also, there was no teacher training back then. But what yeah, I witnessed the best was, way to learn, right? Right, exactly. That's what I like to think. Uh, I just don't want any of my teachers of MSE to think that's how they're supposed to learn, <laughs> or prospective teachers. But really, what happened for me in those first few courses, I did finally take the course from Chris and Kristen, by the way, in the midst of all that. But what I discovered was many people who had taken my own MBSR course, which I felt like I taught with a fair amount of warmth and compassion, um, took the MSC course and something different happened for them. They seemed brighter, they seemed more um, talkative, they laughed more, they cried more, they, they, something happened. And as I went through the courses and listened to them and watched their, their process and was with them in their process, I realized that these were people who found mindfulness to be very beneficial to them. They had taken the course the MBSR course, they'd learn to be a bit more present with themselves to see their own reactivity and to be able to mm -hmm. respond rather than to react, etc. But part of what they were aware of was a really harsh inner commentary, an inner critic, a perfectionism, struggles with shame and other kinds of really difficult feelings that may come up. And they did their best to try to be with those things. Uh, but with self-compassion, it gave them another option, an opportunity to actually meet themselves with kindness in the midst of these difficult feelings, not just to kind of gut it out or white knuckle it through, but to actually be kind to themselves because it was so difficult. And that really is like the powerful piece. One of the powerful pieces of the self-compassion training is that people learn that they don't just have to be with the experience, they get to be with themselves mm -hmm. and to be kind to themselves and to treat themselves the same way they treat other people. This is the thing. If you ask people, you know, how do you treat other people, you know, your dear friends when they struggle and suffer and fall short, as we all do as humans, and then how do you treat yourself when those same things happen to you? Mm -hmm. And invariably, a good 85% plus of people in our courses say, oh, I'm really good at teaching, you know, at, at being kind to my friends when they have a hard time. But when I have a hard time, I beat myself up. My critic starts going. I say, you know, what's wrong with you? You're, something's wrong. You're, something, you're flawed. You're stupid. You're ugly. You're whatever. Um, and so that mismatch is, uh, is the heart of where self-compassion comes in. If we can actually learn to simply treat ourselves with compassion the same way we are generally prone to teach treating others, amazing things happen from that. And there's a ton of research, much of which Kristen Neff has done, um, that really demonstrates that when people can be more self-compassionate, they're actually um, better able to handle challenges, their, uh, their mood is better, their frame of mind is better they deal with difficult situations more effectively they're basically more resilient people so that's what sort of inspired me i ultimately got involved with the center as chris and Kristen were forming it and um, i became the executive director and little by little i my passion shifted over from mindfulness to self-compassion and i've since retired from uc san diego and i devote most of my time to running the Nonprofit Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. Long answer, I know, but here I am. So is mindful self-compassion just mindfulness and 
being compassionate to the self or is there something else? Well, um, the way we talk about self-compassion is kind of based on Kristen's research, which is that she's identified that self-compassion has three components. And, um, and actually compassion itself does, compassion itself also does. But so in order for self-compassion to, to arise, there's three things. The first thing is mindfulness. So mindfulness is the foundation. You have to actually be aware that you are struggling or suffering in order to practice self-compassion. So maybe backing up compassion, one definition is the, the deep awareness of suffering coupled with the desire to relieve that suffering. So in compassion for others, if you are aware that someone is struggling and suffering, first you have to be aware. And, and for you to have compassion, you have to be aware of that suffering and then have some kind of wish to relieve that suffering. So turning it inward, self-compassion, same thing. So the first thing you have to do is to be aware of the moment of suffering, which quite often we push right on past, you know, or we try to push it away or whatever, but actually noticing, hey, this is a moment of suffering. Like in this moment, I am struggling, okay? The second piece that comes with, with the, of the three components is being aware that everybody suffers, that this experience of suffering is not you, it's not unique to you, you share it with every single living human being uh, on the planet. And this is what we call common humanity. Because quite often when we struggle and suffer, we feel alone. We feel isolated. It actually feeds a, a, a fear that we are not connected with other people, that there's something wrong with us, that we're uniquely bad or somehow not worthy. So common humanity is the opposite of that. It's actually seeing, oh, you know, first noticing the suffering, second seeing, oh, this is actually a part of life. And then the third part to make it self-compassion is that once we've recognized it and seen the common humanity of it, we actually give ourselves what we need. We say, uh, you know, we respond with kindness rather than criticism, rather than beating ourselves up, that we see this and that we ask ourselves the fundamental question of self-compassion, which is, what do I need? What do I need in this moment? So mindfulness, common humanity, self-kindness, packaged together is, is self-compassion. So if we can learn over time to respond to our difficult moments with kindness, uh, then as opposed to self-criticism, then over time we actually build this resilience and this capacity to navigate life, which includes you know, pleasant and unpleasant. Um, just to say that um, self-compassion uh, is, it's helpful to remember that self-compassion is a means of meeting ourselves in the midst of our struggle and our suffering and our stress, mm -hmm. not to get rid of that stress, not to get rid of that feeling. It's not a band-aid. It's not a bandage. It's not just sort of covering over something or making, making it seem like it's okay. It's actually meeting ourselves because we're struggling and suffering 
in the midst of it, just because it's here. And over time, it has a sort of positive salutary effect. But in the moment, we're not doing it to make ourselves feel better. And this is an important point, because people will, will think, oh, you know, like, oh, putting your hand on your heart, which is a part of <laughs> an expression of self-compassion. Oh, I did that, and I felt so much better. Well, sometimes that's true. But Really what we're doing is being able to comfort ourselves in the midst of struggle. And it's a little bit like if you're a parent and your child has the flu um, and you bring them, you know, uh, you know, a little soup or you bring them a cool cloth to, because they have a fever or you hug them or you speak kindly to them. You don't think any of those things is a treatment for influenza. You do those things because it comforts them in the midst of the struggle of having the flu. And this is how we meet ourselves in self-compassion. So we're not trying to get rid of the feeling. And this is actually the root of a lot of our problems is when we try to get rid of feeling something. You know, if you've ever, you know, if anyone's ever told you not to worry, like that's the worst advice anybody can give anyone else because you can't just tell yourself not to worry, right? It's never worked in the history of humankind. You know, tell yourself to stop being sad, you know, stop being anxious, whatever it is, it just doesn't work. So the same thing with any kind of suffering. So instead, could you be with that suffering in a warm, kind way because it's just a part of being human? So uh, again, long answer to the question, but mindfulness is the foundation. If you're not aware that you're actually struggling or suffering, you can't work with it in this way. And how many, how many, because I, I wonder how many people are effectively, uh, you know, self, judging themselves right mm. or uh not accepting their own struggle is it like everybody or uh many or a few i, I wonder like what's uh what's your view well uh, um you know it's a, it's a good question uh, i think virtually everybody has moments of self-criticism and self-doubt and, and some obviously it's more severe and more intense than others but even when we do this little exercise that i made reference to like ask yourself well how do you treat a friend when they struggle and suffer and how do you treat yourself there's a little bit of research that Kristen and some colleagues did and i honestly don't remember these precise numbers but it was something like 80 plus percent of people tend to treat others more kindly than they treat themselves and another 14 or so percent where it's kind of equal and then there's i think three or four percent of people that treat themselves more kindly than others mm -hmm. those people never come to the mindful self-compassion courses um, but so a good 80 plus percent of people are out of balance and i think that's really what we're talking about is is if you are if the if somehow or other there's a differential between how you treat other people and how you treat yourself when each of you suffers, you are, you're someone who could benefit from self-compassion training, being kinder. Usually what happens is when we talk about self-compassion and especially the more driven among us, the more type A uh, ambitious folks think, well, that sounds like I'm gonna lose my edge. You know, like, I'm just going to indulge myself. I'm going to say, oh, poor dear, you know, you're struggling and suffering. You don't have to try. Um, this is one of the more common misconceptions about self-compassion, that it's somehow soft or weak or stereotypically feminine in some way. Um, we actually say that self-compassion has both a yin and a yang side. So both a, 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 a fierce side and also a tender side. Mm -hmm. um, so... Um, 
Yeah, so what we actually know from the research is that just in regard to losing your edge, that actually people who are more self-compassionate, you would think that if people are feeling like, oh, an athlete, you know, is driven to success, like they're going to be perfectionistic and they're going to beat themselves up when they fall short because they're going to try harder and then they're going to, you know, eventually succeed. That's the kind of stereotype we have in our mind. But what we actually understand is that people who are like that, who are more self-critical, they do try hard and they do achieve a fair amount of success. But people who are self-compassionate actually tend to try harder and persist longer than the people who are self-critical, mainly because they can tolerate it when they inevitably fail and fall short mm -hmm. sometimes. So that, you know, who wants to put up with abuse? <laughs> so when you fall short and, and um, as, you know, a voice inside your head says, you're not trying hard enough, you're lazy, you're never going to make it, blah, blah, blah. Like you can only, that can only motivate you so far and then exhaust it. But if your inner voice is a, one of an inner coach, a compassionate coach that knows you have it in you and just wants you to succeed, the best coach you ever had, that person is going to motivate you to continue to try despite the failures and ultimately to persist and succeed. So actually self-compassion is a strength in that realm rather than some sort of weakness. Um, at, um, I had a friend recently telling me about some research in the military on self-compassion and how the military folk were the ones who were reported a higher self-compassion on some sort of metrics were actually more resilient and less likely to uh, get diagnosed with having post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. Steve, to begin to slowly wrap up, any recommendations for our listeners about maybe like a, a tip or a trick or a first step to becoming more self-compassionate? And if you can, lead us in a short little practice afterwards. Yeah, uh, I would drop a little tidbit in here of a much bigger topic. And then I do have a practice that kind of harnesses these three components of self-compassion. The, the, the thing to consider, if you have an inner critic, if you have one of those inner critical voices. Now, first of all, sometimes we have a voice like that that is the voice of a caregiver who maybe was abusive or mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, had no good intentions. Um, so this is not who I'm talking about. If your inner critic is, is just painful and reminiscent of a traumatic experience growing up or early in your life, this isn't what I'm speaking about here. There's definitely a place for you in the self-compassion world. It's just a slower pace. But for the sort of more run-of-the-mill self-critical person, uh, you probably struggled with your inner critic. You've probably tried to argue with it and whatever. But actually, what you can discover, if you're willing to be a little bit curious, and if you, maybe if you have a little mindfulness practice, this will help, is that if you start to look closely at why you have an inner critic, what it's trying to accomplish, rather than the content of what it's telling you that you're bad or you're flawed or whatever, you can't do it. If you see what it's trying to do, invariably what we discover is it's actually trying to keep you safe. It's trying to perfect, pr protect you from harm or disappointment or sadness or uh, failure or whatever it might be. It's like the, the worst kind of uh, parent <laughs> that yells at you to be quiet, you know, like really wants you to be quiet, but the only way it, it just comes to mind is to yell, you know, or, or the parent who says, you got 99% on that math exam, why didn't you get 100? 
you know, not because they're like, you know, any other reason than they want the child to succeed. So if you look at your inner critic and you can start to see how it's trying to help you, and we have a practice in MSC that's built around this, you can actually motivate yourself from compassion rather than criticism. Mm -hmm. So that's a bigger topic, maybe for another podcast some other time. Um, but let's just uh, engage. I, oh, I have a question ahead. before, just just uh, to complete, right? Because I, I, I know that there is uh, many, many of the uh, people that are, you know, in the practice group that uh, I met and so on, they're doing a, a affirmation practice, right? And I wonder if it has to do anything with self-compassion, because some of them are uh, very kind of could be a arguable affirmation, like, you know, I'm a money magnet, or I'm amazing, or like, I'm the best in the world, something like that. But this, for me, is more self-esteem than self-compassion. So how, how do you consider this type of practices? Yeah, that's a really tempting question to go in depth, but I'll try to do it briefly. Uh, yeah, there's actually research that, that suggests that affirmations really uh, don't work very well in, in certain certain ways, and we can't go into that here. But, but this is a little bit different because we actually, when we talk about our inner dialogue, what we want is supportive, kind dialogue that taps into our natural tendencies to want to be happy and free from suffering. And so uh, loving kindness phrases, which maybe many of your listeners will be familiar with, are really tapping into, you know, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. We may or, not, may or may not be happy or peaceful in this moment, but we do have the wish to be that. And, uh, and tapping into that wish is what allows us to continue to build on that. If we, if we have affirmations you know, of being, I like that money magnet. Uh, I, you know, I get where that's coming from. But if it's not actually, if we don't believe it, it provokes an argument in the mind. Mm. You know, there's, there's like, I am a money magnet. And then there's that nagging little voice that says, no, you're not. Look at what's happened so far. And, you know, like this thing never worked out. It, it provokes that kind of conflict. And so it's not really compassionate. If you say, you know, uh, I have a deep desire for success, that's something that maybe you could tap into, or may I be successful, or may I know my own capacity for success or something like that. These are kind of the kinds of phrases that actually let go of the argument that allows the heart to rest and to move in that valued direction. And I could tell you, I could talk for another hour about that, but uh, yeah, not to take anything away from the whole affirmation thing. It's just not really compatible with what we're talking about here, I think. So thank you, it's a great question. So this is the kind of foundational brief pocket practice from the Mindful Self-Compassion course. Uh, and we'll do it in a short form here, but this is something that can be done in any length. And I'm going to, uh, well, I'll say something briefly at the end about it. So, so if you would just take a moment to just maybe drop inside, maybe if your eyes are open, maybe allowing them to close if that's comfortable and just tune into the inner experience of you in this moment, this one here who's breathing. And just taking a breath to settle and focus attention, noticing how the body feels, what's here in this moment, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, doesn't matter. 
And into this space of awareness, maybe calling to mind something challenging you right now, some kind of difficulty you're facing. Maybe it's a conflict at work, or maybe it's a relationship stressor, or maybe a health problem. Something that causes you a little stress just now. Maybe just calling it to mind. Not choosing the biggest thing that you face, but maybe something in a three or a four on the one to 10 scale. Just calling it to mind, reconnecting to this situation, the distress that it may be causing. Maybe noticing how that might manifest in the body, maybe a increased heart rate or a little tension or heat. And perhaps just simply noticing the presence of this difficulty, saying this is a moment of suffering. This is a moment of difficulty. So this is mindfulness. Just acknowledging the presence of difficulty in this moment. And then Whatever it is that you're experiencing, knowing that this is a common human experience in response to situations like this. Other people faced with this same thing would struggle in much the same way. Recognizing this is a human experience, struggle and suffering is a part of life. Everybody experiences this at times. This is the common humanity. You're not alone. However much it feels lonely in this moment, you are not alone. And acknowledging this, saying to yourself, may I be kind to myself? May I be kind to myself in this moment, just because it's here and it's difficult. Maybe asking yourself, what do I need? And if you'd like, maybe placing a hand over your heart, and feeling the warmth and the gentle pressure of your own touch as a simple expression of kindness and compassion. Not everyone will feel comfort and soothed by this gesture, but many will. Just allow yourself to notice how it is to be kind to yourself in this moment of difficulty. And letting go of this gesture and this practice as you're ready, allowing your eyes to open. So this is called the self-compassion break. It's a very short version, but it just brings in those three moments, those three elements of self-compassion, mindfulness, common humanity, and self-kindness. So it's, this is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. May I be kind to myself. You can do it in any kind of moment when you face a little difficulty, just dropping in and
practicing those three components. Beautiful. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Steve. Thank you. You know, I, one thing I feel is, uh, and maybe it's just me, right, that we, I never knew how to deal with a uh, difficult situation, right? And how to deal with myself since I was born. It's not, it's not part of the school. It's not part of what, you know, parents are sharing in general, right? Not, none of my friends ever mention anything of the kind. And, and that's something that I think is useful and it is actually needed uh, by humans to to deal with other humans and to deal with themselves right so i'm really you know applaud your your work right and what you do with uh, teaching self compassion it's definitely changing lives right uh, thank you yeah i definitely feel that it's what feeds me so happy to be a part of it and happy to share it with you and the listeners and, uh, the center for mindful self-compassion there's a lot of resources on our website you might want to take a look mm -hmm. we will put all the links uh, in the podcast as well right so whatever okay. thing you you mentioned okay. so any um any other resource uh, folks should uh, follow uh well with that introduction i can't help but mention that i uh this past summer pub uh had published Self-Compassion for Dummies, mm -hmm. uh, which is a kind of accessible version of mindful self-compassion that's out there in bookstores everywhere uh, and online. Uh, I think it's a friendly introduction to self-compassion. It sounds like an ironic title uh, for self-compassion to call yourself a dummy, but there's, uh, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. And I try to introduce it in a, in a lighthearted way, even though it's a serious topic. So we'd love to have people take a look at that nice okay so thanks for sharing uh looking forward perhaps to meet you again in one next episode of the podcast i think the topic you told me this is like the first uh, half an hour <laughs> of six hours conversation so let's <laughs> let's move on from that uh, thank that you that sounds Steve. great thank, thank you uh, thanks for having me and thank everyone for listening right see you uh, next year with more episodes of our podcast bye bye, bye, -bye.